Once Upon a Time Season 6, Episode 2 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap. I'm joined by a very special guest, someone completely new, the Kurt of Monte Cristo. Kurt, we're happy to have you. <laughs> I was like, are we being joined by a third person? Because I'm just me. Oh my god, you've revealed yourself! You're back after all this time to swear your revenge for that drunk carding reference we made back in season four. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where that potentially goes and how, um, how off the rails we go. Yeah, so I don't want to bury the lead too, too much. But I don't, know, I don't know if I'd call it the lead. <laughs> Let's be fair. Our, our one of Barry the tail, I guess. But our, our once upon a recap fact checker reminded us at the very end of this episode. We are, by the way, recording right after the episode airs. Uh, and she helpfully reminded us that back in season four when we reviewed, I think it might have been episode two as well, where we had David with the really bad wig when he met up with Anna back in the Enchanted Forest. He gave that, he told to her, you know, I had a father. He had a problem with alcohol. One time he went into the woods and lost control of the cart and got basically in a drunk carting accident. And if you recall, we had definitely a field day with that. But at the end of the episode, there are apparently a myriad of untold stories with our main characters as well. And one of them might be that David's father might not have necessarily gotten in a drunk carting accident. Emphasis on the word accident. Yeah, I think um, our, our trusty fact checker had said that... Uh that I had apparently uh, predicted he was actually alive. Um, I don't know that he's, I, I don't know. We'll see if he's alive or not. I think all, all Regina, so not Regina, all that the evil queen says is that it wasn't, it may not have been an accident. So um, yeah, I guess that the story, the storyline may come back. Uh, we'll see if we end up actually flashing back to that time period and we get to see more bad wig action. Um, well, we saw some this episode. Oh, true. Um but, but yeah, so apparently the, the thing that we had such a field day uh, mocking, uh, it, it may not have been an accident at all. Yeah, they're completely retconning, which I guess I'm happy about, uh, though that might mix the messages of don't drink in cart that we left at the end of that podcast. But we have an entire episode to talk about, Kurt. Our second episode, we got barely any evil queen last episode, but she was in full force tonight and we also have our first storyline from the land of untold stories through the count of monte cristo which i can't remember at the end of our season five feedback show when we were talking about possible stories from the public domain that they would bring up on once upon a time if he was in there kurt how much did you know about the count of monte cristo before watching this episode um in terms of the original story yeah I remember reading it in French uh, in a senior year French class in high school. Uh, wow. I definitely, I definitely uh, know of uh, Edmond Dantes. Um, uh, I don't remember much about the story, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you. But the little bit that was recapped at the beginning about how he kind of rebuilds his, he escapes and rebuilds his fortune to get revenge, all to get revenge on somebody. Kind of playing this, he has this, this long view of revenge, uh, is kind of sparking uh, a memory. Um, but, uh, I, I may be under a, one of the untold curses of once upon a time. I don't have, I don't have full, uh, memory of that. So, but yeah. I, we, we did, we did read it. We did read it. 
admittedly the main grasp that I had of the story was from the parody that the Simpsons did one episode. And yeah, it seems like from what I was able to glean, they pretty much covered it in the first flashback at the ball where this was a man, I think he was a sailor who had a fiance and he was basically betrayed by a bevy of people and was falsely imprisoned and his fiance died i guess while he was in jail he was uh, i guess saved by a fellow prisoner who sort of let him know hey there's this treasure of the buried in monte cristo (laughs) so this guy was able to escape get the treasure become count and then basically slowly but surely build up his wealth and then plot these small pieces of revenge on everyone that had wronged him so i don't know how much the baron or who the baron is and what that ties into the canon of everything but you know there's always a big question mark on once upon a time as to how these real stories kind of blend into the writing and where those paths may diverge. But it seems like, for the most part, the Count of Monte Cristo story holds water in comparison to the original source. Right. Or if, like, in our in our pre-show discussion, I see that I even, like, in my own mind, I'm, I'm intermingling some parts of the County Monte Cristo and the Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah, they're both people L- in lots prison. Lots of men. Lots <laughs> of men. <laughs> and, and, and prisons. Um, so, and he went after the treasure of the Sierra Madres, right? That's what he was going after? Yeah, he didn't okay. need any stinking badges. Okay, um, so, so, so yeah, it was. If I, I almost felt like this was a little like, oh, interesting. Again, non Disney literary dip, dipping the toe in the water for the Once Upon a Time fans. And if any people are kind of interested by the story, um, you know, let's make you America go to your local read. library. Yeah, <laughs> make America read again. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the episode itself. Everything kind of intermingles here, much like couples at a ball hosted by the Count of Monte Cristo. So let's try to go through things chronologically. And it picks up almost chronologically right after we get our scene in the last episode where Zelina meets the evil queen in her off-site cottage. Now the queen has taken her into the crypt where she's able to easily get in through blood magic. Here we get a couple pieces of information. I'd say the most tantamount is... I know at the end of last season, the final scene was the evil queen putting the dragon in quite a compromising position, but we know he's been there before and he showed up in the season five finale. Kurt, do you believe the evil queen? Do you think the dragon is truly dead? It has ceased to be. He's really most sincerely dead. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know what? I, 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 of all the characters, like maybe other than, the you know the the sorcerer slash apprentice i'd say the dragon is the one that i would not ever count as out i mean she said she pretty much like used everything he had on hand to get to storybrook um but i i would not be at all surprised if we ended up seeing um the the dragon return the, the return then- the enter, enter the dragon once more Yes, Return of the Dragon, uh, coming to Dis- direct-to-DVD Disney sequels to Pete's Dragon this fall. Um, I know that at the end of the last episode, we kind of had a big question mark as to, well, Zelina felt scorned by Regina. Will she fall into the Evil Queen's good graces? And even at the end of this episode, I feel like they're making progress, but I do have to give the creators credit here that she's not exactly completely hopping on her good side, especially in this first scene where she's admittedly tacking along with her, but she's questioning everything that she's doing. And it's very clear that Zelina does want not want to have any part in uh, doing anything with the evil queen, which then sort of brings up a question as to what she does later on in the episode. Yeah. I, I would say it, it, to me, at least it feels like 
we see, at least, or at least I see, reluctance in Zelina, but she's just kind of at least taking steps, reluctant steps forward with uh, Regina. Sorry, with the Evil Queen. It's, you got, we have to we have to now split these characters. Um, but I don't think that the Evil Queen necessarily sees the reluctance that we as an audience see. I think she kind of sees what she wants to see. And so far, mm-hmm. like the, what, what she wants, she's getting the same result. There's somebody who's here alongside me. Uh, even if she can't see the reluctance, she's kind of getting what she wants. But I am not completely shipping Zelina as a villain in the Evil Queen's court yet. Well, no, because I feel like that would undo a bunch of character development that we had over the past season. And granted, we're going to be talking about a character very soon who arguably undid a bunch of character development with her actions uh, after finding out a certain amount of things with her own untold story. But yeah, that, that would not be great to see. Also, just speaking towards the logistics of the Evil Queen, so... This is a, a personality facet of Regina. So are we to assume that she was there, she witnessed Zelina's turn as well? Or are we making the assumption that this is the evil queen as she was in the Enchanted Forest? And so she wouldn't exactly know all the stuff that Zelina's been through the past year. Ooh, I think my assumption was that she she has been and she inside uh, Regina and she's pretty much experienced everything there. Um, so I, I think she has those experiences. I think what's a little less certain is to what extent, um, yeah, the evil queen is again, rarefied and distilled evil. Well, you think that would make Regina, you know, distilled good, but I don't think we're necessarily mm. seeing that, um, which I think is like an interesting dichotomy uh and and not completely balanced so i'm kind of curious to see where that goes unless there's a little bit more of it isn't about good and evil if it's about um good intention versus bad intention um you can you can have a snarkiness and a little bit of a mean streak as long as there's like a good intention at the soul at the heart of everything um so we'll we'll see uh we'll kind of see where with where that, that ends up going but i think that the the interesting thing is then like the then the evil queen that we've seen the entire time in the chant force there's always a little bit of a good regina in there too so um we'll we'll, we'll see how this ends up developing mm-hmm. you can be a bitch but as long as you work in the soup kitchen you're okay karmically speaking yes exactly so let's go inside Granny's here. Regina is uh, feeling some residuals from the aforementioned split. She's still a little nervous about making speeches because previously I think everyone kind of held her in higher accord because she had such dominance and such scare tactics. But Henry is able to convince her that she is a hero through Operation Cobra Part 2. He's going to bring it up later as sort of a, a more complicated sequel to the first one. Kurt, did, do you think this worked as a sequel to the original Operation Cobra? Not quite like they wanted to. <laughs> um, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, you know, I hear a lot about in Hollywood, uh, a script coming across the desk of some uh, producers, and they, instead of making it into its own movie as it was intended, it was kind of co-opted by an existing movie franchise and and turned into uh, a a sequel. I believe that uh, it was like either Ocean's Twelve or Ocean's Thirteen was actually supposed to be it's a non Ocean's movie, but they oh really? Yeah, they, but they kind of crammed it into that that uh, that plot and they shoehorned the story into there. Um, and so I'm wondering if if Henry's doing that a little, little bit, like yeah, this time you're the hero, so we'll just call this Operation Cobra Part Two. Well, I wonder if Henry might have been responsible for then calling Troll Two 
what it was, despite the fact that it had nothing to do with the original incarnation was about, and it was about goblins. It was at least a twice as bad movie as its original. I've, I've seen the original. I've not seen the worst sequel ever made. Oh my god! <laughs> I've seen the I've seen the sequel, but I have not seen the original. Admittedly. Okay, then you know we're like opposite sides of the same coin. Exactly. You're you're my own evil queen then, in that you have not seen <laughs> Troll 2. That's a weird way to split off a personality, but I guess so be it. So Regina decides to uh, stump for these refugees. We see the continuation of that storyline. It seems like they're relatively taken care of, though. There are enough well, rooms in the inn at Granny's. It looks like Comic-Con broke out at Granny's or something, because there's, there's a <laughs> lot of like vague costumes. I saw the three musketeers and I saw a man in a top hat. That's pretty much all I could glean. There was there was a woman in a, like a kind of belly dancerish garb, but she wasn't a belly dancer. There was like mm. a strange steam, lots of like vaguely steampunk. steampunk. Yeah, um, which I think we talked about when we saw Jekyll and Hyde in the season five finale. Yeah, uh, like there was some guy who had, like these big round glasses on. Um, like if there's if if if, there, if season what was it wasn't like part two of season four was the uh, uh, queens of darkness I think part mm-hmm. part one of season six can be vaguely steampunk. <laughs> it's like strictly ballroom. Once upon a time, like, going vaguely yeah. steampunk. Yeah, it's like strictly ballroom, but more gears. Oh. <laughs> uh. I love that. So much leather, so much squeaking around that they probably had to, to ADR out. But Regina gives a big motivational speech about how you fled to the land of untold stories because you were afraid your stories would play out like they do in this book, and you're probably scared. I don't know why everyone seems to think that these people are, are frightened beyond all belief. But Regina's just like them. They're getting a fresh start. They're going to face it together. Uh, I heard Regina's... Uh, approval numbers increased at least tenfold <laughs> after this speech, so all is looking good for her. <laughs> that was huge. It's biggest numbers ever. <laughs> she, wa- she won. She, she won. She won that night. Yes. But someone who snuck in and is not necessarily a refugee but is looking for a room is Belle, who tries to play off as coolly as possible. Hey, I woke up from that magical coma I was in. Uh, (laughs) Hook and Emma greet her at the door, and it's clear that she needs a place to stay. Hook wants to help her out, but Emma has other plans. She's going to see Archie. Now, Kurt, I know we talked last week about how we were hopeful but a little cautious that Archie may return in more capacity later on in the season. It seems like, you know, in, in a Sopranos take, we're going to get him as Emma's therapist throughout the season. <laughs> yeah, I think he, I'd say he had a bigger role, a uh, more fleshed out role uh, this episode than last episode. So I'm, I'm glad we're seeing a little bit more Dr. Hopper. Um, going back to, to Belle. I was very much surprised how little fanfare there was in terms of her <laughs> showing up. Like, um, it was almost like the people, like, uh, like there was one group of writers who was writing from Hooks and, and Emma's perspective, like, oh, Belle's here. And then there's the other writers writing from Belle's perspective, like, I'm just going to kind of sneak in and uh, say hi and see if I can get a room here because I'm no longer shacking up with gold. <laughs> I mean, I would say that it's the equivalent of like, if you have a group of friends and let's say two of them hook up and they form a really insular relationship so much so that they stop hanging out with you anymore, then they break up and she comes back. That's what that situation yeah. felt like. Like she's part of the gang, but she's really been away with from them for so long. Yeah, it's they're not used to like they don't have a picture of Belle outside of the context of with gold. Exactly. But now she's a single woman. She's single and ready to mingle on the Jolly Roger. 
Who knows what that's going to hold in store, but uh, Hook seems okay with Emma's therapy sessions as they decide to take off, and we'll see them a little bit later on. Henry meets a special friend, uh, a man in very tattered rags. I guess this is a steampunk, more so rag punk. But this guy is adamant that he is not as he's not very important to be part of any story, and he apparently is uh, very sneaky. To quote the butler from Mister Deeds, I guess he possesses the same qualities that he's able to disappear on a dime. But he is able to leave a calling card behind through the form of a, a very nice wax seal. Yeah, yeah, he uses his own. He's got his own seal on there, and it's a kind of our first. Uh, I guess flashback of the episode. I don't know. Are we are we going to kind of cut to the flashbacks a little bit later? Or do you want to go through the main storyline or how? No, let's, let's let's go let's go through the flashbacks okay. now because they sort of tie back into everything. Uh, we get an immediate reveal here that the wax sigil does belong to the Count of Monte Cristo. We talked about this a little bit a little while ago when we were talking about the story itself, but he reveals himself as Edmund Dantes <laughs> and this Baron put him in prison. He demands to know who else was working with the Baron, but he refuses, so he decides to kill him. And all the guests file out. Uh, they're they're not as freaked out as you may imagine. I think they're more so perturbed. <laughs> did you see? Did you see the um, the servant who had like the tray of hors d'oeuvres that was just like kind of doing a fast walk as opposed to like running past? He was like trying to still like I have to get out of here, but these canapes cannot hit the floor. I think that extra definitely earned his paycheck that day, uh, bringing that character moment. I did not see that, but that's fantastic. But all these other people seem like there <laughs> happens to be a stabbing happening happening every day. They're like, oh, we'll just move into the ballroom <laughs> we'll get, for, we'll get for out, dessert. Let's get out of the way. And um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Are you, are you um, keeping up with Big Brother OTT? <laughs> I am not. Oh, okay, <laughs> then, then if I reference the Count of Monty Massengill, that's not really going to mean much to you. But uh, No, I know I know that both have long hair, but Monty Massengill has much longer hair. No, no, he, has, he has his own Snow White wig. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the in the, Monty has has the the short hair in the house, but uh, oh yeah. oh no, I'm thinking of the You're other guy. You're thinking of Shane, um, yes, or, or any of the other guys. But yeah, no, Mon- Monty. Every time I heard the Count of Monte Cristo, I kept thinking of Monte from Big Brother. Uh, although I'm not sure which one is the bigger douche, as as we say. <laughs> I, I think I think the what should we refer to this guy as for the rest of the episode? Ed. Count Monty. Ed. Which would you rather? Ed, Edmund. Ed? Edmund. All right, let's call him Ed. Ed Edmund. Perfect. It's the it's the Ed show here. Uh, so Mr. Ed is left with uh, is is left with a dead man on the ground, but she's he's greeted by someone who has an affinity for horses, the evil queen. So this I'm assuming takes place in the enchanted forest, and this is yet another kingdom. Is that what we're thinking here? Yeah. Well, first I saw the ball. I'm like, okay, this must be the enchanted forest. Um, because this is the only location they hold balls. Right. It was. It was said it was the Wilmore Estate, which it. You know. Oh, Larry Wilmore is getting work. I'm so glad <laughs> after his show got canceled. There you go. So it could be somewhere in South Africa, um, <laughs> uh, and but you know, keep in mind the whole Peter Pan storyline um, was took place in Victorian England and wasn't technically in the Enchanted Forest, um, but. Uh, so unless there's a like an un- untold scene where the queen transports Edmund to the Enchanted Forest, I think we just have to kind of build off the assumption that that's where they're at. Mm-hmm. And especially since she says, you know, I'm a fan of your work. And I could totally imagine Rumpelstiltskin saying that because he seems to have the ability to just sort of know everyone's stories all at once. But to have Regina say that, it's a little odd. So I think it makes sense that they sort of exist in the same realm. So Regina wants his help, and they sort of offer a quid pro quo that will sort of 
be fleshed out a little more in the present storyline that essentially she'll help him get his revenge. She has a nice handy scroll that has all the names of apparently everyone that has wronged Ed in exchange for him going after Snow White and Prince Charming because as we remember and Regina brings it up or Evil Queen brings it up later on in the episode, Rumpelstiltskin put a spell on the two of them that Regina cannot technically touch them herself. Yeah, it's like she it's it's I don't think that I I think that's like a really 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 low handicap to place against either gold or the evil queen like in terms of they're gonna find ways around that either way in terms of the evil queen finding way around it as we see uh with that the not being able to lay her hands on uh, uh on snow and charming and likewise the curse that the spell she plays on edmund rumpelstilts cannot be able to lay her hands on him it's like they're gonna find other ways around it come on let's be honest they're, they're clever folks so then do you propose that whenever people create spells that they should be sort of like genie wishes where you have to put in a lot of contingencies just so they don't trick you and get one in over you uh nah nah but you know what they're on their own (laughs) well people who are not on their own are snow and charming who henry gives the letter to them and it's revealed that basically their uh ed is calling them to a certain place in order to kill them regina reveals that yes it, it was uh it was when i was not really being who i currently am i decided to sort of make this deal and they're gonna have to deal with that but first kurt we're going to our first therapy session yeah I, you know what i was actually pleasantly um surprised to see that she wasn't just kind of like like going bowling you know or like drinking drinking at the other bar in uh in in storybrooke that she actually was was sticking to sticking to her word and and yeah Good for her. Well, we have well we have a progress. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like I'm speaking like a therapist here. In that we have had progress. Emma tells Archie, you know, Doctor Patient Confidentiality, I guess, basically everything from the savior spasms to the vision that she had to her own death. But she even outlines here she refuses to tell her family because she knows what her family is going to tell her. Stop doing what you're doing and let us fix things, Emma. If this is the umpteenth time this has happened. Maybe try following that instinct for once. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh. There was such progress, but no, no, it's progress and no progress at the same time. At least like he's calling her attention. Why? Like, why haven't you told your family? She's able to put words to it, but uh, she's still not progressing. Well, which do you think is more grown worthy? Her saying she's not going to tell her family, or her saying. I'm the savior. If I don't save people, what am I good for? Because that doesn't that line did not feel Emma like to me. True, you know, I'd have to agree. I think at least the we're used to the whole I'm not gonna tell people things. It's frustrating that there isn't progress being made on that, but at least but whereas that savior statement feels like some like a step backwards. Yeah, I just and I feel like it feels like she's echoing more so what Jafar told Aladdin in the beginning of the premiere more so than i mean emma is i mean she was a, a bounty hunter she definitely has served as a hero in some capacity but she she has to think that there is at least some downtime where she doesn't need to be immediately saving people she doesn't necessarily have the harry potter complex of i, I always need to be saving someone so this just felt really out of character for me you're multifaceted emma like take up you know macrame or something like and you can be the savior and you can do macrame there's two things right there 
Exactly. There, there, there's more to you than just being the savior, Emma. We're here for you. Right. It, you can, you can also be saved. <laughs> but I, I think uh, therapy might not be something that Emma's interested in because she immediately walks out when Archie pretty much says like, "Hey, you know, I can. I think we should work towards this larger problem." But Emma pretty much says, "No, I just need you to help me with my first problem," and then leaves the session immediately. But you know, but I think that's from my experiences with television therapy. That's normal. I think I don't know how many times Tony Soprano stormed out of therapy, but he's stuck with it. So as long yeah, as long I as she so. keep again, as long as she doesn't quit starting. Right? <laughs> don't quit starting. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around that one. That's like a riddle on its own. There's like the whole like, yeah. like don't 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 stop quitting and don't quit stopping or something. I don't I don't know. Isn't that a isn't that a journey song? Don't don't speaking speaking of the Sopranos. I, I don't know. Um <laughs> Yeah, she but she's believing whatever she's doing. Uh, exactly. Uh she's holding on to whatever feelings she may have, either angry or happy. So Regina Snow and Charming, I guess they're searching the Ed's room yeah. in the inn where they find his cavalcade of weaponry. Yeah. Uh weaponry and wax seals. <laughs> I you know what? He has hoppies. Yeah. He's multifaceted, <laughs> Emma. Take a hint from him. Calligraphy uh and assassinations. Eh, that's I think that's two sides of the same uh pendant that got put on david's father's wrist oh boy too soon too <laughs> that was a long that was a stretch too, I'll admit. That too, was a soon. Stretch. too soon oh boy don't drink and card everybody uh regina says you know what i apologize for this i'm gonna resolve this situation myself snow says you know what we're resilient we've been able to escape the count in multiple regards but regina is not so sure as we see immediately in a flashback that snow and charming have actually met up with ed beforehand and holy wig kurt that is ooh, that's a bad one i it's not as bad as david's wig in the enchanted forest okay well no, nothing can be bad at that but yeah. this was a veritable bird's nest on jennifer goodwin's head yeah oh i see i thought you were talking about edmund's <laughs> No, oh no, no, no. I think I think his length is fine. I think Jennifer Goodwin's long hair I'm maybe I'm remembering incorrectly, but isn't it usually like straighter or at least a little tamer than what the wild woman look that she has? Um I I that's not how I remember. I didn't have any, you know, long hair don't care for me. Um but uh I I was like it didn't it didn't seem too off for me not that i noticed it it wasn't like as holy smokes as da as david's was uh in, in the past so uh no i usually i usually remember her hair being pretty tangled up but i, but I could be misremembering maybe I'm, i mean i don't know how it compares to merida maybe mary merida's conditioner got mixed in with snow white's beauty regimen and she decided to start using that uh, possibly but um it's uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm losing track of all the, all the wigs here. <laughs> the wig watch. We're no wiggler no. here in terms of handling our own wig watch. So Ed puts on his ruse that he was the last person, I guess, left alive during a town that was ransacked. Uh, a, a wine steward left alive. But things get complicated a little bit when Charlotte enters the picture. Kurt, what did you think about Charlotte? I was trying to remember, even if Charlotte... Like, is Charlotte a character from The Count of Monte Cristo? And then I went and looked. I'm like, no. And then 
I it was like, and I'm pretty sure she's not a character in Margaret Atwood's A Handmaid's Tale. And if she was, that would be a really strange thing for ABC drama to uh, to dip into. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Margaret Atwood, let's bring that one back into the fold. Oh, I mean, especially about a a, a story that revolves around of uh, you know forced pregnancy in a, dy- a dystopian future. About, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, ironically, I read that probably a year after I read The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, so, yeah, this was – I was trying to place here at what point in time they were encountering Edmund. Because we know that, at least in present-day Storybrooke, they're saying they've never met the Count of Monte Cristo. They haven't actually seen Edmund yet in Storybrooke, or else they'd recognize, mm-hmm. oh, there's our wine steward. And exactly. I was, and we'd heard Edmund say that, like, these bad people burned down his village and killed his fiance. And I was trying to figure out if, at this point, is he – is this a flashback from before he was put in prison and before the evil he had met the evil queen, or is this after? Because like, if it's before, is this where he was potentially, you know, uh, was was this you know where all the bad stuff had happened? But I guess that stuff happened to him while he was in prison. Um, so it took me a while to kind of place where everything was going here, but we definitely see a connection between uh, Edmund and Charlotte, and she's got a little solve that will help him get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the Enchanted storyline, for a storyline, it's always a little confusing. I do remember there was a line in this scene where Snow said, or I think David had reprimanded Snow saying, you know, you let the evil queen live and now look what she's doing. So I'm assuming that places things after the event, and I'm misremembering right now, where I'm sure Snow had a chance to kill Regina and she didn't. I'm sure there were multiple opportunities yeah. where she did that over the course of the uh, Enchanted Forest storyline. But I guess it places it there. This is obviously before the, f- the Dark Curse, yeah. but it's it seems like that's it sort of exists in that murky area. Yeah, it's, it's again, one of those things where there's that... that- that white space that uh, they're looking to fill stuff in. And there's all, there's all sorts of just generic white space in the pre dark curse times. Absolutely. So the count or Ed swears revenge. He again, is sort of under the guise of this random villager, but snow is going to sort of fill him with the mantra that he's going to bring with him, I guess for the rest of the episode, which is, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is get mad. The best thing you can do instead of the best revenge you can get is to sort of give a stiff upper lip and show that you're happy, even with the misery that you're getting. And they decide to be the bigger people and offer him to join their party as the wine steward. I wonder if they're really that predictable. Like, I'm wondering, like, was Regina's plan, as, as you know, and we'll, we'll kind of get to this in a little bit, if her plan literally was, and then you know what these goody two shoes are definitely going to do? they're going to see the misery you're in and they're going to invite you to be their wine steward. So really play up the whole Vintner thing. (laughs) Yeah, Um, really show your wine expertise just so we know that they obviously do not have a taste in fine culture. So they'll definitely need a a sprig of that. Yeah, sommelier for the the Enchanted Forest. Um, So... But, you know, but apparently it was the plan, and apparently it did work, and apparently they are that predictable because they did bring him on board. I like that Charlotte's the healer of the party, by the way. She's like the white mage. I think she was dressed in white as well. Yeah. A little bit um, Castle of Zoot uh, also, if you're going back to Monty Python. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Was it, yes. no. it wasn't the Castle of Zoot. Castle, Castle Anthrax. Castle Anthrax. Uh, bad Zoot, naughty Zoot. That's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Zoot was the one that was, I guess, overseeing... Uh, the cavalcade of orgy-laden women that existed within Castle Anthrax. But enough about that. (laughs) 
let's get to the crash site here where Regina tries to call off the deal. The Count seems uh, very insistent that the deal is still holding through so much so that he tries to kill Regina by throwing his sword at her. Eventually we'll find out that this is all being controlled by the evil queen the entire time, but man, this guy's looking pretty damn stubborn, uh, which again makes sense when you're connected back to the story of the Count of Monte Cristo in which he was fueled by revenge throughout that entire story. Yeah, yeah, and and he, he continues with his um, fast exit, fast entrance. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, God. Just don't take your eyes off of him. Like he, He's gone. And don't blink. Oh yes, don't blink. <laughs> that there's a whole other podcast we can do on that. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so it, I, apparently the uh, the the the, oh, the backup was in the woods. The 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 uh, the, the help the Emma and the team charming, as I like to call them. They're, they're, yeah, the continu- the contingency plan. Right. The God, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm just I'm not going to waste podcast time trying to think of it, but it's basically yeah, the backup, the posse, the whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah, the B team. Yes, and uh, they say that you know he's uh, he's he's not backing down, and so they said, and you know, Emma's basically, you know what, he's going to be coming after Charming and Snow White, so we got to get you out of town. And do you think the reason why they drove in a cop car was just to get the fun effect of wrecking a car in Once Upon a Time? Oh, possibly. Uh, you don't want to wreck. You don't want to wreck the uh, the Yellow Beetle. That's too iconic. You don't want to wreck the Yellow Beetle nor David's pickup truck. Those are two iconic vehicles on the series. Yeah. So, uh, I was. I did they did they not see the red line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that red line has really stuck around since, what was it? Maybe it was like season, was it all the way back in season two or was it season four that they sprayed the, they sprayed the line down? Oh, see, I thought it was a, I thought that was like a glowing magical line. I didn't think. No, oh. no, no. The, the dwarves spray painted a line to show where the town line was. Okay, my bad. Re, re, rewind, strike that. Maybe maybe it was like all the way back in like season one or two. Maybe maybe because I remember we're about to get into the scene where Hook reminds Belle of all the bad stuff that he's done to her. And if you rewatch the scene where he shoots her, I believe the town line was painted then. That was like the middle of season two. Just in the, in the 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 brief moment it was on screen to me, I thought it was like a magically glowing line. I didn't realize it was painted. <laughs> it's, it's nope phosphorescent spray paint, my friend. <laughs> okay, just like uh, watching an NFL game is like, how do they keep moving that yellow line? It's like magic. <laughs> Yeah, maybe uh, maybe they have people working in the boots there. Yeah. It's true, true I, dark magic being used there. Don't they, don't they trip over it if they can? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the magic of the NFL will be talked about in a later podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, so let's go to the Jolly Roger here, where Hook and Bell are kind of talking things out. Bell is a little leery about staying on the Jolly Roger because once Gold finds out that Hook is hiding her, this will definitely be the first place that he goes to, but Hook is ready to fend for himself, and it turns out that this guy is holding on to a little bit of residual guilt. He reminds us of all the things he's done to Belle. He attempted to kidnap her and then kill her back in Season 2 when uh, she didn't really have any information about the Dark One. Uh, He said he laid a hand on her. I don't remember what that's from, but he did shoot her in the middle of season two and unfortunately brought upon us the Lacey storyline which i think is the most <laughs> egregious offense of all <laughs> that's true and if he hits anyone he should be apologizing to us the viewers um, um i seem to just look directly into the camera and apologize to us at the end of the scene <laughs> exactly uh bell doesn't seem bothered at all to be like no and it's like he's like well okay but i still need to forgive myself and i am not quite there yet even if i'm forgiven but- by others 
but you have to imagine that it wouldn't it be hypocritical of Belle to be more resilient of the changes that Hook is making, considering that she has been shacking up with a man who consistently says, I can change, I can change, I can change. Like that's been her MO for the past however many seasons. But I, I think it's two completely different situations. Like she wants she wants gold to change. Hook is here saying that he himself wants to change. I don't think we've ever really seen gold say that he wants to change. He's like, when questioned, he says he can, but he doesn't really ever seem to want to. Uh, here, with at least with Hook, she's seeing somebody who, without outside prompting, really seems to want to change, um, which is really not going to be good for gold in the end in terms of, well, Emma's boyfriend is doing this, so why can't you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, did this hook mentality seem a little random? Yes. Maybe now that he's finally gone to hell and back, he can sort of settle back in. But this seems like a storyline he'd be thinking about in, in season three, not season six. Yeah, I was a little bit concerned about it. Like, unless there's like something about you know the conversations he's had with Emma. Like, he's he's like glad that she is going to see Doctor Hopper. So maybe he's taking a little bit of an introspective uh, look at himself and is reassessing things. Um, the other thing it could be is it's potentially setting up something in terms of uh, a, an untold story from his own past mm. that he would soon rather forget that might come up this season. That's what I was thinking. I think that maybe there's maybe there's something else that he did to Belle that he can't mention. Maybe there's something unspeakable that he did in general that's the worst thing he's ever done, aside from killing his own father that he won't talk about. So maybe they're sort of dropping the breadcrumbs there that will lead to that hopefully delicious gingerbread house. Let's go back to the painted, not uh, magic in town line. They notice that the barrier is a protection spell, that's akin to the one that Regina put up during the first curse, but the only way that could be created is if they use ingredients from her crypt, which was encrypted with blood magic. It's, you can see it in Regina's tone of voice. She has a suspect in mind. Oh, so this reminds me more and more of an escape room. It's like we need to get to, to set this up. We need this, but to need this, we need to get through this, and to need, get through this, we have to have this person. Um, here, and this is the point. It's like I kept forgetting up to this point that our heroes do not know that the evil queen is back. And like when they first, when they first encountered the wall in the last scene, I think she was, she was there with, I think thinking at first that did, did uh, Edmund somehow set this up? And I'm like, well, no, it's obviously it's the queen. Come on. And I keep forgetting. They don't know at this point that the queen is back. Um, but yeah, Zelina does show up at this point, which is the, you know, like you were just kind of implying at the number one on the list in terms of, uh, you know who Regina has as a suspect, and obviously, it's either going to be only two people could potentially get to the vault through the blood magic, uh, me or you, and it wasn't me, so it's got to be you. Although, like, yeah, I guess unless, uh, yeah, unless, uh, or or Henry, maybe Henry could have yeah, been the one. Yeah, I was trying to think like who else is technically a blood relative? Who no, because he's not a blood relative of. Regina. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and, and Snow White isn't a blood relative of Regina. Maybe Zelina's baby. Zel yeah, Robin. <laughs> baby Robin <laughs> is. Uh, yeah, baby Robin's up to no good. He's the true big bad of this season. Yeah. Um, All right. So, why, Kurt? Why, when Zelina appears and Regina immediately gives her the third degree, does she not say right there and right then? 
your evil self is living and she is in the town and she created this barrier. Why does she decide to keep mom and instead just disappear? Because this is this is playing right into the narrative that the evil queen has spun to Zelina about Regina not trusting you. And I think she's more I think she's more hurt by Regina's accusations and to some extent, you know, wants something to cling on to that's true. Um, so I think her first reaction is, you know what, the evil queen had something, was maybe onto something here, and her, her first response was one of resentment rather than of countering it. Um, so I can actually, you know what, I can completely understand Zelina's reaction and lack of complete forthrightness. Like in in terms of people not telling people things, this is the one that makes this makes more sense to me. Her not just completely spilling the guts on the evil queen because Regina's it, it hurts what she's saying to her versus Emma who's like refusing to tell anybody about her savior spasms. It's like this this actually made some sense to me. But at the same time, this is something that could put everyone in danger, including possibly yourself. Why not give up that information? I, I can totally understand where you're coming from in terms of what Regina's accusations, where that sort of places in their relationship, and especially where they left things at the end of the last episode. But you would think about the greater scheme of things. You would want to reveal that there was a danger in town because that can mean much, much worse things. And I think we're going to see as a result, it is going to mean much, much worse things, even though maybe this would have been more egregious had the evil queen not revealed herself 15 minutes later. Exactly. That's why I wasn't too, like maybe too down on Zelina. Cause it, it's still, it doesn't change anything for the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, it was like, she said she didn't go there expecting the Spanish inquisition. And, uh, well, nobody expects the Spanish inquisition. Thank you, Michael. Um, <laughs> so many Monty Python references. Exactly. I'm, I'm very glad you took a swing at that one. Um, <laughs> And, but at least her, I'm thinking as as Zelina kind of backs away and like and leaves in a poof of smoke, I it, I get the sense that Regina sees or, or feels that it wasn't. Or sorry, that Regina yeah, that Regina doesn't think it was Zelina completely because she kind of leaves this. We leave the scene with I'm starting to think that the count isn't the only one we need to be worried about. And I didn't really interpret that as, oh, no, we need to be worried about Zelina. I interpreted it more as there's something else going on here that Zelina's not telling me. So I think by mm. Z- so I think that she got enough from Zelina to at least suspect that something was going on. So she's not completely off her guard. Yeah, in a world where you can control people's actions using their hearts, I think you don't need to immediately suspect people because there's a good chance that there's some sort of other factor that might be contributing to the actions exactly yeah i didn't thought about that so let's go back to the past and let's talk about this bitter draft the title of the episode kurt you're a beer fan were you hoping when you saw the title that there would be plenty of drinking this episode it's not like there's like too many ipas in the room I'm not. I'm not. It's not like yeah. All the all the hipsters of Storybrooke got together. Yeah, it's like I did. One thing I don't like a a, a bitter beer. Um, so I like butter beer, but not a fan of bitter beer. Um, yeah, it's. I'm, I'm. I didn't think that it would necessarily be a callback to the venom of the Agrabah Viper, although that's also a little bit of a call forward given to how much an Agrabah we might end up being this season. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this might be Chekhov's Vipers in that if they're very prevalent in Agrabah, God only knows how many characters are going to die from them this season. Do you think we will have another reference to the Agrabah Viper this season? 
I have to imagine so. They're going to be in freaking Agrabah. <laughs> They'd be, I mean, be a criminal if they didn't. They're like, oh, great. Yeah, and they're vipers, but we're not going to deal with them directly. We've had this reference maybe three times on the show so far in a realm that's exactly outside of Agrabah. This might be one of its landmark attractions to the place. I, I would not be surprised if we see him again. But, you know, there's probably all these other great Agrabah things. Like, how come we're not hearing about the Agrabah risotto? Or... The, you know, the, the Agrabah uh, uh, wall hangings. Um, it, it's, it's a shame that it's like everything gets focused on the venom of this viper. I'm hoping that there's well, more exports that are contributing to the GDP of Agrabah than viper venom. Well, it's because the vipers are to die for. Moving on. <laughs> Thank you very much. So we see at the beginning of this flashback sequence, uh, a sword fight between the evil queen. Now, again, we talked last week about the theory that Emma is possibly fighting herself. Do you think the writers are trying to have the the viewers believe that the evil queen is going to be the one in the hood, considering that we've seen her sword fight now? Um, I did not make that connection at all. Um, uh, I, th- I think they did that probably in a stronger way by having Emma put voice to that concern at the very end of the episode. Um, but uh, I almost wish, sh- well, depending on kind of where that, if that's what Emma thinks, I'm wondering where that's going to, how that's going to impact her actions over the next few episodes. If she, if it doesn't, I would have almost rather it been like a little bit of a nugget here uh, in terms of the, the, the sword training. Um, because this doesn't really, because it doesn't really go anywhere her uh no yeah um which makes me think again i mean maybe it might it leads to how regina is able to sword fight later on in the episode and hold up against the count but it seems like this would be something where the writers can point to and say hey we told you that the evil queen is gonna be under the hood look remember she was sword fighting in the enchanted forest oh possibly i know it'd be it'd be interesting to see like what percentage of people made that connection i want to say like if more than 50 percent of people said oh sword fighting queen sword fighting hooded figure if more than 50 percent of people kind of picked up on that connection then it's probably a false lead <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's the uh, it's the like the Big Brother game where you want to be like in the in the majority, but it's, <laughs> you want to be in the minority instead. Oh yeah, is it the hold was the the fold or was it the, the fold? Oh, never mind, forget it. <laughs> yeah, we're talking too much Big yeah, Brother sorry. on this pod on this Once Upon a Time podcast. But Evil Queen gives Ed the Agrabon Viper poison to put into their wine. He's admittedly a little hesitant because they have been nothing but kind to him. Yeah. But he decides, being fueled by revenge, to leave. And Rumpelstiltskin then appears to continue this scene. They basically talk about the various spells that have been put on <laughs> everyone throughout the course of this timeline. She announces to him that, I, you mentioned this before, Kurt, I'm going to put a spell on the count that you did on me with Snow and Charming so that you can't touch him and get in the way of my plans. But of course, with Rumpelstiltskin, there is a way around everything. Uh, yeah... Yeah, like I, said, I, I'm, I, like I said, I heard these little uh, uh, contingencies, I guess you want to call them, and I didn't. It's, it's, this is not going to stop either of them, in terms no. of like she's finding a way to get around, uh, being able to harm them directly, and by bringing in Edmund and Gold's finding a way to get around hurting Edmund directly, as we will see in, in the upcoming scenes. Well, this might segue into the next scene at the pawn shop. How do you think 
the evil queen and gold compare in terms of power? I would argue that gold is has always been the most powerful figure in the show, objectively speaking. But do you think the evil queen comes close in terms of not only magical ability, but cunning? Um, I say she's definitely second. I don't think that's a, I don't think there's anybody that's a close second other than her, but I don't know how close it is. Um, she's definitely not first. He's definitely in the lead. I would have, I would given odds. I'd still give him like 50 to one. I think it's, I don't think it's a contest. (laughs) All right. You're going to Vegas with those odds. Yeah. All right, we'll see. I guess we'll have many bets going on in the Once Upon a Time Vegas pool of who's the more powerful magical figure, if the evil queen is really the one in the hood. There's only two episodes in, and already so many Vegas bets have been brought up on this podcast. We're going to come back with a lot of money. Yeah, hopefully, or maybe not at all. Uh, Speaking of coins, let's talk about this scene where Gold catches the evil queen stealing something from his shop. It turns out to be... It's a coin, but I guess... David's going to reveal later it's it's more of like a trinket or a piece of tin. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, Gold says, all right, you can have it. Do whatever you want. But essentially, just leave me and the people I love out of this. I wonder how much Gold really is going to play a role in what's coming up and how much he really is going to end up like sulking in his shop for the rest of the season. He did seem a bit subdued, and I, and I like the queen, was surprised that, that that's all he wanted in return. And I don't even think he said that to leave him out of it. I think he said just leave Belle and the baby out of it. So mm-hmm. I didn't even hear him, him necessarily state his name. Um, uh, but she's like, although to be fair, I don't know if her, if her surprise, if it was surprise or if as much was a, a way to get into one of the creepiest scenes of uh, the last couple seasons. <laughs> Like, is that, is that all you want? It was more like, is that all you want? <laughs> yeah, so, all right. This is going to sound super weird, Kurt, but... Oh, no. I, I, th- I, thought, I thought Evil Queen was a, a little hot in this scene, and I, I don't know. I, that might be speaking towards uh, a part of me that I have not accessed before in my life, but I don't know. I, I might be favoring the Evil Queen over Regina in more ways than one. I'll just say that all of her come hithering was at full hither. <laughs> and full, I won't say the first word. <laughs> I, won't inc- I won't include that in there. I don't know. I, there was just something in there where Lana Perea is a very beautiful woman, and it's, it's very rare that she's able to use her feminine wiles, I suppose, and she was able to do it in full force. This does make things a little awkward because let's remember that when Gold was Rumpelstiltskin, he was in a relationship with a young Korra. Granted, the family tree on Once Upon a Time is very gnarled, but that would just gnarl things even further. But yeah, it's a, it's a very different type of queen, it seems. <laughs> well, I'd say even just in terms of like the costumes that the evil queen gets to wear are much more uh, you know, sexy and provocative than, say, the, the, the sensible uh, suits and vest or whatever you want to say that uh, Regina is wearing yeah, around all the, town. Yeah, all the, the Hillary Clinton power suits. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit more um, office casual with Regina where it's a little bit more... Uh, castle boudoir with uh with with the evil queen um so you know so i i mean i I think if you're saying you know which of the characters is is uh sexier i would have to then again uh putting my my vegas chips on on the evil queen alongside you 
Uh, al- mm-hmm. Although not literally alongside you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I listen. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm fine. <laughs> I'm open to a lot of things, but I don't know about that. Yeah. If 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 Regina is office casual, uh, Evil Queen is like Meredith from the Office casual. <laughs> <laughs> so let's flash back at the charming dinner. Ed, it seems like everything is going according to plan, even though he's still a little guilt-ridden. Until Charlotte comes in, it is her last dinner before she goes off to visit her sick mother. They are pouring it on so thick, just like a glass of wine. Kurt, he, he, uh, of course, the, of course, this is, you know, thankful. It's one of those like butterfly effect things where Charlotte's sick mom saved the lives of uh, Prince Charming and Snow White. Yeah, absolutely. And even though I do wonder, had there not been any sort of sick mother storyline, because he sees his fiance's eyes in Charlotte's, do you think he still would have gone through with killing them? Yeah, he poured the wine and set it in front of them. I mean, he was all, he was all ready to do it until he's like, oh, but Charlotte's going to be here. Um, yeah, uh, let's let's get a different bottle for this. <laughs> yeah, showing off his. His wine knowledge, and I think I think anyone who knew wine sitting at the table would be like, "What the hell are you talking about? You need a bottle to match." Get, I want to drink my wine now, but I guess their ineptitude was able to save their lives. Yeah, I think it's like I mean I understand the whole this is, you know, this is a truly special occasion. Let's get a truly special bottle. I can kind of say, "Oh, that's kind," but then I as as the you know he takes Charlotte's glass away, and the other stewards are kind of removing Charming's and Snow's glass. I you know keep in mind like Snow grew up. I mean, well, she grew up in the castle, but she also like lived in the woods, and she's kind of more of this like ranger type, uh, good at tracking. And it's like I can completely also see Snow say, "No, you're just gonna toss that. At least let me drink this while we wait for the the the, the new bottle to arrive." Exactly. Waste not, want not. Exactly. Um, so I, I don't think it would have been that easy uh, for Edmonds to get the the glasses out of the hands of the charmings <laughs> well i guess uh that's the advantage of living the rich lifestyle is that everything that has something touch it or sits on the table for too long gets taken away from you immediately and not given to poorer people well, I'm, I'm hope i have hope that they are giving the leftovers to poor people because you see how much food was in there i mean that was yeah, like well, th- but that means kurt then you have a bunch of dead poor people outside the that castle like, from drinking that poison wine well no i meant like the food like the, the big spread of food like a vegas buffet Again, Vegas. Um, uh, there's just like so much food there for the three of them. Like it was. This is this is typically like what you would use to cater the you know the ball that we saw. Yeah, the, the ball from the Count of Monte Cristo. Exactly. Um, so I'm hoping they give those food leftovers to at least the the kitchen staff or people in the village and yeah. So back in Storybrooke, Regina is a little miffed. She feels like all the great social effort that she did with her speech to the refugees has now been undone because the very first untold story has gone awry. And it goes further awry when she finds Charlotte, who is very clearly poisoned, but she's surrounded by some sort of spell. And here, Kurt, surprisingly in episode two, we get the first showdown between the evil queen and Regina. Did you expect it to happen this soon? I was thinking about that as this scene came on in terms of, because like earlier on, as I said, oh yeah, that's right. They actually don't know the evil queen is back. And then we saw this scene. I'm like, I think that if you, I think that if we had asked ourselves last week, do we think they'll have the confrontation with the evil queen, their first confrontation and realize she's in town in week two, I think we would have said, no, it'll be at least week three, if not week four. Um, So I was like, oh, at least, um, you know, that cat's out of the bag. 
Yeah, well, that's the conversation that we had last week, right? Was what do you, what do we think the ramifications will be, if any, of this season not being divided into halves? Will it mean that they will extend storylines because they now have 22 episodes to work with rather than 11? Or will the exact opposite happen? Will they rush storylines in to have them occur as quickly as possible? We sort of saw that last week with, oh, they got Hyde much quicker than they usually do. Again, we see it this episode. Oh, the evil queen met up with them much quicker than they usually do. I was totally expecting, after Zelina disappeared, to have a good one or two more episodes of Regina you know, suspecting Zelina and thinking that yeah. she's going to be the big thorn in her side. Yeah, you know, I agree completely. Even if this this is fast for what we even if we were expecting an eleven episode arc, this is fast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're they're playing fast and hard, much like rolling dice in Vegas. Uh, but it makes things, I guess, more exciting. We have an immediate confrontation here, and now set stakes are immediately set up, as we'll see at the end of the episode. So, Evil Queen encounters Regina. She reveals that, yes, I'm alive. You can't get rid of me that easily. And she drops a few bombs here. One of them is, A, she doused Charlotte in a dampening, magic dampening spell, meaning that Regina's magic is now weakened. And she was using Ed's heart to control him the entire time, so everything he was doing was not really from him. Yeah, I was a little bit... There are are several small things here that I was confused about. Like, wait a minute, so did... Has Charlotte been here this whole time? Like, who who poisoned her because she didn't get the poison at the castle? And uh, the magic dampening thing I thought was just weird because I think, okay, that's going to eventually wear off. That's not a permanent... Is, is, is that a new magical device? I don't think we've ever heard of a... We've heard of, like, you know, anti-magic spells, but not a magic dampening spell. Yeah, it, it was like... In, anti-viagra for magic because like it'll wear off after six hours hopefully um uh so it but the the whole the whole heart thing was kind of a reveal to me that that came that one i did not expect that's all classic you know um town sheriff slash huntsman from season one Uh, graham r.i.p graham he was 50 shades of fantastic i was wondering if there i was i was i was trying to beat you to a 50 shades reference there you can't beat me when it comes to Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> never can, never will. Yeah, the, I mean, again, we're talking about like playing fast and loose. She got a lot of information out at once. And I mean, your questions are pretty much going to be answered in this next flashback scene when we find out that Rumblestilskin, yes, he cannot directly interfere with Ed, but he can certainly get around him by poisoning Charlotte himself. But he has a solution. Here's a key Go to the land of untold stories that will, and I think this is the first time we really find out some logistics behind the land of untold stories in that it is a place to escape your stories, but at the same time kind of put things on pause, where I guess if you were undergoing anything, let's say, for example, a poisoning in the Enchanted Forest, if you enter the land of untold stories, that will pause. Now, we don't see Charlotte in the land of untold stories, so God only knows what she was looking like, if she was actually well and walking around. But I think once they left the land of untold stories, then the poisoning took effect again, and that's how she died. Yeah, because it's... We kind of get hints at this when Henry's talking about the the storybook and, and kind of getting people's stories finished for them. So you get the sense that it wasn't just a land of untold stories, but it was a land of of unfinished stories. Uh, um, more more so, especially if we see, we've seen what looks like the Three Musketeers, um, its stories. And it even looked like there were potentially people from what looked like it could have been like uh, 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 sailors from Moby Dick with big harpoons. You um, know, steampunk Moby Dick? Steampunk Moby Dick. 
Um, it's all the like stories that potentially were started but never finished. Um, and I think we even talked a little bit about how did stories eventually, you know, actually get there. And I think wasn't it wasn't it um, was it was it Hyde last week who was saying that you know the people who chose to go to the land of untold stories were kind of weak for not wanting their stories told or something like that. That there was kind of an, an allusion to some disdain for people in the land of untold stories. Um, yeah, and um, we don't know too too much about Jekyll and Hyde as to how they ended up there. It right. could be a case where he holds that resentment because maybe he was banished there. We're not entirely right. sure about that yet. Right. And so I think we have we had questions about how people got there. We had some questions last week about you know did everybody come here? Did a small group of people come here? Were they kind of handpicked? Uh, were they here against their will? I'd say with the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, I'd say that's definitely the case. I kind of get the impression though that the Land of Untold Stories didn't necessarily cure charlotte she might have just been in this comatose state there um Ugh. although i don't know what good that would have done i mean it's not like uh gold read him the entire wikipedia entry on the land of untold stories and how it actually functions um he just said like the the, the poison won't kill her if she goes there but she might have just remained in a coma the entire time there as well i can't see it you, suddenly curing her do you think that had charlotte not vaguely resembled Ed's fiance, he maybe would have let her die? Um, I don't know, because we, we do see that, you know, time has obviously elapsed with them both working in the uh, household of the Charmings, you know, her as the handmaid and him as the steward. So their paths had crossed. I could see them potentially having formed a fondness for each other had she not had the same eyes. Um, but you know, it's it's that reminder of the eyes that you know keeps calling him back. So, well, I think the eyes definitely had him. <laughs> um, I I do think that like if she didn't pass a bearing resemblance, uh, there's still the chance that a workplace romance could have sprung up, and that might have saved her and the Charmings. Charlotte's eyes are watching. Let's talk about the big fight that occurs on the docks, Kurt. What did you think about David's attempts at being Captain America? <laughs> the poor man's Captain America with the garbage can lid. Yeah, it's Captain America meets Oscar the Grouch. Uh, well, at least it's like um, uh, it was effective. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, it's, it's, first of all, it's not like I think I associate uh, uh, Edmund and the kind of Mighty Cristo with kind of this more kind of swashbuckling sword style. And we and we know though that that charming and snow are very serviceable with weapons and fighting. So I'm a little bit surprised that he actually though was able to uh, hold off two of them. I was and I was not surprised that the two of them could at least uh, take him on. Um, yes, especially since he wasn't really able to defend himself. David at least had a shield, but Snow had a pipe that she could have whacked at him. Right. So it's it was it was a really strange fight. Like I, I again, Vegas odds. I would have put my money on on Snow and Charming just in terms of good fighters, two of them. Um, but he, they, he, they're able to well, except for able to get to the like what ends up happening. Um, they're able to hold him off for a good deal of it. It doesn't seem with much effort. They don't seem to want to kill him or harm him. Um, but yeah, he kind of gets the drop on them and knocks them out with a container of barrels after he swashes some buckles and cuts some ropes. And 
Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. Obviously, I'm not a very nautical person, but why was there a giant bundle of barrels just tied up in the docks? I got the impression that they were probably going to be loaded onto a ship of some sort. Um, although, we, who? Who's going to do yeah, that? Not, <laughs> Eric? <laughs> oh, from, yeah, I was just going to say, Eric from The Little Mermaid. He's like the only dock hand we have. Um, I'm, although maybe some of the dwarves also work on the docks, you know, you know, Bashville before his four o'clock appointment with Dr. Hopper. Um, but or then again, there's not like there's a lot of ships coming into the, the bay. So I think no, it, there's um, one ship in the dock. And it's, it's currently functioning as an Airbnb. So <laughs> it's or water BNB. Um, so maybe it's just like, well, for when the curse comes down, but keep in mind, this curse was just recently put into place. So I think it just could have been, oi, let's hoist these barrels up for when the uh the ss uh nautilus comes into town eh and then we can load her yeah. up eh they're canadian uh, i liked how you went both jewish and canadian <laughs> with their sailor impression I'm, I, very multifaceted I'm, character I'm, I'm, I'm very junadian um, <laughs> uh so i didn't think too much about that that was overthinking it there it's also this is a time where a lot of sword fights happen so you know there's got to be lots of things you can cut and have come crashing down yeah, that's very true. It's like cutting the, the chandelier. Exactly. But as the, as the Count is about to deliver the final blow, Regina counters him. She's trying to convince him that you're stronger than this. You can fight it. It seems like a series of unfortunate events for Regina over the next few minutes, though, because she tries a fireball. It sputters out. She asks Henry to call Emma, but it appears his phone is... It's, I guess it's enchanted, but it looks like it's underwater, the effect. Uh, <laughs> the, the queen stole his bars. <laughs> I got no bars. She stole all my rollover minutes. Can you kill me now? <laughs> Good. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so, it, the ca- so Ed is set on carrying through with his revenge, and Regina has no choice but to throw a sword right through him, and she has the blood on her hand in spite of separating the evil part from herself, seemingly. Yeah, and it's awfully reminiscent of what the move that uh, Edmund tried to pull on her back at the dirigible in terms of like, kind of doing a whole javelin throw of the uh, sword. Um, and and it's not for nothing, it, you know, it did seem like Charming and Snow were trying to subdue him without killing him. But she was in dire straits. Yeah, so that brings up a question, though. So Evil Queen's going to come back and taunt her and say what we talked about before where she drops a lot of hints as she really seems to do a lot in this episode about how, you know, Regina, you're going to be the one to destroy everyone's happy endings. You're not the hero you think you are. And there are more people than those from the land of untold stories who have, you know, things that have not been revealed yet before she disappears. But does evil queen have a legitimate claim here? Do you think going (laughs) back to, you know, not evil versus good, but bad intentions versus good intentions. Let's let's, I guess, how can we compare this to what Emma did to Cruella back in the end of season four? Oh, well, that was much worse. Uh, Emma got rid of a character we all loved. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess, all right, objectively speaking, Kurt. <laughs> objectively, we all loved Cruella more than we did Edmund. I defy you to find Kurt. anybody. <laughs> um, I know it's... The issue I have here is really takes the question off the table. I mean, it's more of a, the issue I have is it seems like characters are very good at getting other characters to think 
think what they want of themselves. What I mean by this is the evil queen is very good at getting Regina to think of herself what the evil queen wants her to think of herself. As opposed to the as a, Regina at this point, compared to any other points in the seasons, it's like this is one of those weird points where suddenly the character's like, you know what? I really had a strong opinion about myself, but now that what this person's saying to me, which I should just be utterly brushing off and saying, are you crazy? is suddenly impacting me like it's never impacted me before. Like in terms of like, everything she could be saying about me is right. And I'm like, any other situation, Regina be like, whatever. But maybe it's because it's her other side, her darker nature. But I think the, the characters really just need more of a dose of, you know what? Don't buy into what bad people say about you. Because odds are yeah. the good people have the... The good people have a better opinion and are more more accurate. <laughs> and there's she's called the evil queen for a reason. Right. She's trying to get in your head. And granted, I think Regina is probably a little more emotionally supple, not just the fact right. that she feels less confident in herself, but because she just lost the love of her life that maybe the evil queen is preying upon her. But, I mean, I, didn't she kind of also deal with this a little bit in season four as well, that, you know, she was dealing with you know, what makes a hero, what makes a villain, is there area right. in between and that she was sort of comfortable living in the area in between. It <laughs> seems like this show sometimes takes various stances as to whether there are heroes and villains in this narrative. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. It's, it's almost, it's almost like, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show in terms of, I really wish that when we had the separation of the evil queen and Regina that was a little bit more Jekyll and Hyde in terms of two much more distinct personalities. Um, you know, Dr. Jekyll does seem quite meek, uh, but at the same time, we also saw that Hyde is still intelligent in his own right. So here it's like we see this more distilled evil that was kind of extracted from Regina, but I don't really feel we've seen much of a change in Regina. And I don't know if that's the point. It would have been interesting if there was more of a, a character choice or a, in the writing where Regina is a little happier, a little bit less snarky, or um, you know, suddenly is like, you know, doing meals on wheels in town. I don't know. But like something where there's a little bit more of a marked change in how Regina's acting, if indeed this distilled evil had been removed from her. Do you think that then that is a consequence of them bringing the evil queen in too soon? That, yes, it's fun to have this stuff rushed upon us, but we really haven't seen that much of Regina without the evil queen, and so it's not as big of an effect to see them separated as the writers may think it is? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I actually was kind of almost hoping at the end of the last season that when the extraction took place that we might almost see a different actress playing the evil queen, which I know mm. would be sac sacrilege. But at the very least, you could still have Regina, or sorry, you could still have Lana playing the evil queen in flashbacks. But in terms of, you know, we see Jekyll and Hyde as two completely different people. Um, I think that would have been really an interesting choice if it had been played by a different actress and you still had Lana as Regina. And then maybe you could contrast them better. I, I don't know. Was it is, am I having trouble with it because maybe they brought in the evil queen too soon? I don't know, because it, it didn't even seem like in the first episode that you necessarily saw a change in how Regina had been acting. And I don't know mm -hmm. if it, is that the moral? I don't know. Like, is, is it, do you have to uh, do purposefully, you only see the good side of you when you're doing good things and there's no true line between good and evil. I don't know. I mean, and if, if Regina 
can be turned evil uh, and like, oh, there's a little, you know, a little tarnish on your heart now uh, because you did this and it's going to continue to continue to grow. Can we see the opposite happen with the evil queen? And then are we just going to have two people who met in the middle? So I'm not really sure what to think of this. Well, we'll have many more episodes to think about it because the evil queen is here to stay. Regina's hitting the sauce back at Granny's and Emma and Snow are really trying to convince her that, again, what she did was not really warranted from a choice. Uh, but what she's doing is exactly what the evil queen wants. Snow is adamant that they can take her head on, but Emma's sort of concerned with her own business as when Regina brings up the untold stories from our main characters, the savior spasms happen again. And we'll talk about what that warrants in a little bit. What did, what did you think about the, uh, the Henry meta dialogue with hook in this week's edition of hook doesn't know pop culture. I'm really hoping the reference to the Temple of Doom being better than Raiders of the Lost Ark was just a kind of was, was I'm hoping that was supposed to just be a little bit of an inside joke. I mean, I would agree that the popular consensus is No, no, you know that Henry loves short round. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um I, I I think the popular consensus is that Empire is better than Star Wars and that Godfather 2 is one of those few instances where the sequel is better than the original. Uh there's there was there was kind of shades of scream here in terms of like having a meta talk about movies. I mean, if you go see Scream 2, I mean, there's talk about, oh, you know, there's certain things that are always true about horror movie sequels. The body count's always high, you know. And I, and I was getting a little bit of flashbacks to the um, to, to the, the Randy character from Scream in terms of how, uh, how Henry was talking about sequels. But the, the whole thing about um, sequels being much more involved than the original, I don't think that's something that you really want to hang your hat on, Henry. <laughs> No time for love, Dr. Hopper. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and considering that the only movies really seen him see so far are Harold and Maude, this kid has a very weird mm. sense of cinema. He probably did some like Harold and Maude 2 fan fiction that we don't know about. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Do not raid Henry's room no. for a variety of reasons. Oh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a young teenager now. So David gets a letter. Do you have anything else you wanted to add besides what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast where the evil queen alludes to the fact that maybe David's untold story is the fact that his dad didn't necessarily get in an accident? Um, <laughs> not really. Um, I think I, I, I did, we'll, I'm, we'll I'm, put a pin in it. I'm glad, I'm glad that they called, they reminded us what that little, again, we find out pretty quickly what that piece of tin from the pawn shop was. At least we're not left wondering about that for another episode. Um, and it, which, which makes me wonder between, you know, we find out right away what the piece of tin was. We waited one episode for the revealing of the evil queen. We waited half an episode for the capture of Hyde. And again, does this, is this at all even linked to the season length? Or is it really just more of a callback to what Zelina said in the last season, in the last episode about, oh, what normally would take you weeks and weeks took you just a matter of hours. That's really amazing. Like, is that mm -hmm. is this more the authors of the, the writers of the show um, acknowledging that there's been fan commentary over the over some of the seasons saying some stuff potentially gets drawn out that could hap that could take place in the matter of a couple episodes? Is this just more of a conscious effort to? Uh, uh, have as few standing questions as possible. Yeah, it could very well be. And we even see it in the next scene with Evil Queen and Zelina that at the end of the last episode, Zelina was like, oh, I don't think I want to join up with you. Now it seems like the ice is breaking a little bit. She doesn't exactly say we're in business, but she definitely warms Lena over a little bit. And it seems like they're forming at least some sort of friendship. 
Um, it's something. So what we see that we we cut to Zelina's cottage and Robin's crying, and we see and Zelina comes into the kitchen and or the 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 area at the fireplace, whatever it is, and sees the evil queen holding Robin. And I thought Zelina was gonna lose her s to be completely honest at first, but she was pretty calm about it. And there's this nice touch, I guess, where uh, the queen gives Robin slash Zelina this rattle that their mom had used with her. So that's, I think, a nice gesture. Um, But what did you think about Zelina kind of vocally calling out, oh, so you tested me just like like Regina does? Yeah, that was strange because I don't really remember that happening. (laughs) (laughs) Again, that might might be like my spotty memory now that we're back in the season, but I can't think of many times where Zelina was like, I was testing you the entire time. It seemed like the way we left things at the end of season five was that Regina did not have that relationship with her. It seemed like they had warmed over pretty well. They kind of mutually agreed, hey, we both lost the men that we love in our lives, but let's use this as an opportunity to bond. And that's where they left it. We talked about this earlier on in our podcast. It seems like they're unspooling and sort of reweaving the narrative of these two sisters now through this relationship. See, the, it was, the, the way that I kind of saw it was like, regardless of whether or not it did actually happen, I thought it was interesting that Zelina vocalized to the evil queen, I'm, what you did was you tested me, and just to let you know, I'm perceiving what you did as exactly something that Regina would do. So I almost thought it was like a little bit of maybe not calling her bluff, but also it was a little bit of just acknowledging the fact to the evil queen, I'm not completely buying what you're selling, just to let you know. Um, but, and, 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 and the queen feels obliged to have at least some sort of, of counter there. Um, like, you know, I, I'm, unlike her, I'm never going to doubt you again. Uh, you know, you know, You'll you'll just like me. You would never settle for less. And it's interesting that she's like, you know, Regina is literally the lesser of two evils in this situation, at least according to the evil queen. So I thought there was some slight parallels. Yeah, and I think that Zelina is slowly but surely finding in the evil queen what the evil queen wants, which is a version of Regina that resembles facets that Zelina believes she has in common with Regina. So and maybe in her saying like, you're doing something Regina would want to do. She's like, oh, you remind me of Regina, except you acknowledge the fact that you're evil and you love it. Yeah, I mean, going back to the whole thing from last week about you got rid of in yourself the thing that was most like me, and that kind of hurts that you would want to do that. I think it's almost like the relationship she's forming with the evil queen is, it's almost like she's relating to the most Regina-like parts of the evil queen and either and willfully ignoring the rest and and for now because the regina like parts of regina aren't as appealing as the regina like parts of the evil queen she's at least just kind of going along with it but i don't feel like she's completely sold so let's talk about the final scene here when emma goes back to archie's office we have you talked about before that great throwaway line about how he knows that the evil queen's back in town because bashfuls is four o'clock and he likes to talk about current events before diving in god only knows what issues that man has yeah, especially like the it's funny that the 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 least talkative dwarf except for dopey who is still a tree um it yeah, goes to therapy and and does all of his talking there apparently. I, I just found that was like a nice little nod. 
Definitely. So Emma has a new theory about who the person in the hood is that kills her because she says, okay, my parents were there. Henry was there. Hook was there. There's one main character who wasn't. And we're not counting Zelina, even though she just became a, a part of the main cast talking about Regina. And Archie says, it was it Regina or was it the evil queen? And Emma gives a very deep, I don't know. And I think there's a lot of weight held in those three words that, you know, if Regina is losing confidence in herself, Emma is losing confidence in Regina as well. Right. And in, <clears throat> and again, this this potentially now goes to, I mean, she kind of at least has a quote-unquote breakthrough in therapy with with uh, Dr. Hopper. And I think she does, it does seem like she feels, you know what, you're probably, what's interesting is that she even decided to go to Dr. Hopper in the first place for this. Because there's really no reason for her to go there. She runs in to basically tell him, you're right, I should tell my family, but I can't do it yet because I, the vision I'm having, I think it might be the evil queen, but in case it's Regina, I really still have to keep this under wraps for now. And then she's kind of like, I'm assuming then she leaves. It's just really interesting that she chose to go to Dr. Hopper and say, you are right, but I'm still not going to follow your advice. But here's the reason why. Um, but at the same time, I think it was, it's interesting now that they're at least using Dr. Hopper as a way for, if, if Emma's at this point where she isn't talking to anybody about these things, it's interesting that she now, the writers have to give her a therapist to tell these things to, so we know what she's thinking and not guessing. That's kind of the, I guess, the role that Dr. Hopper has here. It's, it's to get those things out that she can't say to any other character so we know what's going on inside her head. What if Archie's the one under the hood? That would be awesome. <laughs> you haven't paid your therapy bills. It's Pongo underneath the hood. <laughs> <laughs> the, the theories are really running rampant. I mean, I'm still firmly in the camp that it's Emma, that it's a, a dark part of herself, but... Again, if we're going with this evil queen swordplay theory, that could be something as well. But I guess the evil queen was not so false in her words that the seeds of discord have certainly been sown here. And it seems like, just like Regina lost faith in Zelina earlier on in this episode, Emma has seemingly lost faith in Regina as well. Yeah, it's... And, and for them to reveal... I mean, I'm assuming they're building towards this big reveal... For them to reveal in the second episode that it's possibly Regina or the Evil Queen, like unless there's like a really big piece of evidence in episode three that it couldn't possibly be her, then I, until that happens, I don't think it's going to be like until it's proven beyond almost beyond a shadow of a doubt that it can't be the Regina or the Evil Queen. I'm not going to believe it's Regina or the Evil Queen. But that like if we see next episode that oh, it can't possibly be Regina because of X. I'm like, well, you know what? Now it might actually be Regina. <laughs> it's, like a, it's, it's like a slasher film where you think it's somebody for like the first 20 minutes of the film, and then, oh, no, it can't be them, but then there's like a twist that you hadn't thought about, or, oh, no, it actually is them. So Yeah, I'm going to spoil the movie Devil for a second, the M. Night Shyamalan film, oh. where I think it was like this: the second woman to die turns out to be the devil the entire time, and she was just playing dead. That type of thing could definitely happen. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Uh. <laughs> so if you guys have any thoughts as to who might be under the hood or any other thoughts about these continuing storylines as we make our way through this long but exciting season of Once Upon a Time, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. You can always leave a comment here on postshowrecaps.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feed by going to postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. We always appreciate your ratings and reviews as well to boost our 
our own spirit a little bit in the iTunes charts. You can always reach out to us on Twitter as well. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Kurt is at Kurt Clark. While you're here on Post Show Recaps, uh, stay tuned. Sub- make sure to subscribe to the main feed as well for everything that's going on. Mr. Robot just wrapped up, but I know there are some off-season podcasts going on. Uh, most recently, a big take on Season 2 with the... Count himself, Rob Sesternino. SNL just started off. Seinfeld is keeping going. Fear the Walking Dead is coming back. I know Kurt, or is still going. I know Kurt has many reactions to Fear the Walking Dead before Walking Dead comes back this month, right? Walking Dead proper is back this month. It better be. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a spooky month. It's exactly. zombie month. So lots of fun stuff going on on Poster Recap. So make sure you are subscribed. To finish things off, Kurt, what's a hashtag for people who have made it all the way through to the end of this podcast? You know, I was going to go with Vaguely Steampunk, but there's a, a late entry. You just referred to Rob as the Count. Can we do the Count of Sesternino? <laughs> yes, the Count of Sesternino. And if you don't know how to spell his name, what the heck are you exactly. doing here? C- Count of Sesternino to refer to the man who maybe he's making his revenge on losing out on a million dollars by building a podcast empire. Yeah. Oh, one, one quick thing we didn't talk about I, that I forgot to mention is I think last season we said, is this going to be uh, where a season where you have a bunch of characters who would normally only would, uh, get a one episode story arc uh, like the, they would get, they would guest on it as we said in the, from the Hades storyline, the underworld storyline under Brooke um, or does that now that we have a longer season, do we potentially have an opportunity for characters to have maybe uh, a two to three or four episode story arc instead of just a single appearance. Uh, right now, Edmund is falling into the Gaston category. So <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, let's actually have a tracker for that. We'll track the number of untold stories characters. How many of them are introduced once and then flame out, and how many of them last at least a couple of episodes? We'll track yeah. it throughout by the end of the season. We'll take a look back at it. It should be fun. Uh, we'll talk about that next week, along with an, a number of other things, including... Spoiler alert, a possible retconning of the Cinderella storyline from all the way back in season one. So for your homework, everyone, watch the Cinderella episode just so we get a quick reminder from back in 2011 of what that was like. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that was coming up. I'm like, we have a Cinderella. There, and there were actually a couple different Cinderella episodes in the modern day. And, and yeah. Oh, shame. Well, we'll, we'll see how it sort of handles everything next week. But thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always. Letting us know your thoughts about this episode and possible theories using the hashtag CountOfSesternino. For now, if you're going to go to Vegas to make some Once Upon a Time bets, please make sure you do not drink and fart. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.